Yes, you, you lucky sausage. You found the Talk Marketing Show, where the League of Marvelous Marketeers give up everything you need to be more successful in your business. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, Martin Henley, this is the Effective Marketing Content Extravaganza, and if you've spent a second here, you will know that I'm on a mission to give you everything you need to be successful in your business. So I'm here giving you everything I know. We bring in Mel every other week to bring you the marketing news. We review the very best and the very worst of marketing content on the internet, and I pull in anyone I can find with experience that's relevant, interesting, and useful to you if you are interested to be more successful in your business through your marketing. So if you haven't yet, you should like, share, subscribe, comment, do all of those good things. That will help us get this message to more small business owners like yourself. Today is talk marketing. So what I have is a guest for you. Now today's guest started out in broadcast media with Asterio Radio Group all the way back in 1996. He has been involved with the uh, the Data-Driven Marketing Association and Advertising Association since 2011 in Australia. Mainly what he's been doing since 2000 is being Managing Director of Action Mailing Lists. My writing is appalling today. He was introduced to us by both Ranil Rajapaksha and Dave Brooks. So he's in a very unique group of people who've been referred to us twice. Um, he is described in one of the uh, recommendations in his LinkedIn profile as the man and as the person, the go-to person when it comes to direct marketing. What you may not know about today's guest is that he has a really passionate interest in people's right to be who they are, and that is everybody's right to be who they are. Today's guest is Abramo Irado. Good afternoon, Abramo. G'day, Mark. How are you? I am extraordinarily well, man. I'm really excited and happy to be speaking to you today because by everyone's recommendation, you really are the man when it comes to direct marketing. And I'm not sure if we're going to speak well, today about direct marketing or data-driven marketing, or maybe you can help us with the difference between those things. Are you sure. the man, Abramo? I prefer the word guru. And I, I live and breathe by the word guru. So, okay. Uh, I, I ask my grandchildren to refer to me as Lord or Master. Okay. That has not worked. Okay. But anyway, I can start with the concept of being the guru. Um, look, I think the reason I got something to say is because I've been doing this for 20 years and I've sort of picked up a trail of knowledge that um, I'm happy to share. So. I let others judge whether or not it's useful or not. Okay. All right. Super cool. Are you being serious about the guru thing or is this like a superiority complex that you have that you're not quite fulfilling? Um, it's probably a complex. <laughs> okay. Super cool. I mean, everybody's got nice things to say about you is, is, is what I'm seeing. Oh, that's that's I'm actually thinking. lovely. I mean, it's lovely. I mean, like, it's like if any of us actually run our own businesses. 
have this concept. I, I mean, I have, I've always had this concept. I don't want to burn any bridges anywhere I go, right? So you kind of try to treat people the way you want to be treated. It doesn't always work. I mean, like, you know, all of us in business are going to have customers or clients that will refuse to do business with us again, you know? And, but it's not my doing and it's never my intent. So it's, it's kind of nice when people have got nice things to say about you. Yeah, it really is nice. It really is nice. And I remember when I started my business, I was a little bit behind you. It was 2005. I started my business and it went fantastically well. And I remember the first time I lost a client and I was devastated. It's like, this isn't supposed yeah, to happen. Shattering. It's earth shattering. Yeah, it's like, um, but that is the truth of it. You know, the truth of it is people come into your lives. So you can support them. You can help them for us take them as yeah, far as you can. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, that's it. Okay, good. I'm interested in this. You're saying you've done it for 20 years. Is this your business? The uh, yes, it is. The mailing list business. Is this your business? It is yeah. your business. So you've done this for 22 years. And without wanting to over-egg it, I think that's a really interesting 22 years in the history of direct marketing. Oh, absolutely. Because absolutely. like direct marketing might be, when did they start direct marketing? Maybe 100 years ago. But the evolution that it's gone through in the last 22 years is really quite insane. So yeah. am I right in thinking that or am I over-egging it? Uh, no, you're not over-egging it. I mean, like uh, when I started off, uh, paper mail was huge, uh, a lot bigger than it is now. I mean, outbound telephone work was a lot bigger than what it is now. Um, the the reality is that the digital world and digital media options took over from a lot of particularly the paper-based mail um, oper operations of most marketers but it's i think it's morphed more towards the where it should have always been which is this concept of allowing data to drive the communication strategies so that means that you actually allow the data to tell you not how, not just how to communicate, but what to communicate. And I think that that's the morphing that's happened more recently um, because of the access to data. A, a, simple, a simple equation is if you think about to buy a terabyte of storage in the year 2000 would have cost you about $1,000. Now it costs maybe 100 So the ability to store data has changed the way we think about holding data. Then you've got people that analyze the data and can actually tell you how to use it to your best advantage. So I think that that's where direct marketing's genesis is from. Um, direct marketing as a concept has one simple premise. It is one-to-one -one communication. That's all it has. Now, the best way to do that is to send the right message to the right person at the right time. Well, the only thing that drives that is the data. A hundred percent. Excellent. Okay, cool. This is what I say to people all the time, like really effective marketing is just about landing the right, well, firstly, having the right product, then landing the right message on the right person at the right time. Time. That is the whole gig. That is the whole gig. That is the okay. entire gig. The entire gig. Okay, good. You don't know because you're one of those generous souls who's just walked into this quite blind. Um, but there is some order to this. Okay, so there are five questions well, that I ask everybody. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, you have, there do you is have some an order. agenda. I actually have an agenda. Yeah, I'm here with an agenda. My agenda is to make you look good and hopefully 
get you to motivate people to do better with their marketing. That's my agenda all day. I'd love to. I'd love to look good. Okay, cool. So, question number one: How are you qualified to talk to us about one of your specialist subjects? I think you're going to say they're the same thing, but I th I'm interested to know how we're going to talk about this. Is your specialist subject direct marketing, or is your subject data-driven marketing? Which which of those is it, Abramo? The specialty is data-driven marketing. Okay, super cool. I mean, every, every conversation I have with clients, it starts and ends with data. Without the data component to this, what you're doing is putting an advertisement inside an envelope and just hoping for the best. Yes. So it, it is data-driven is where my expertise lives. Now, how can I be qualified to talk about wait, this? Wait, 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 wait. Don't get, get ahead jump. of us. We, we need the order Sorry. here, bro. We need the order. <laughs> so I'll just I'll run through the questions and then you'll know what's coming. Yeah, no and problem. it just makes no it easier for us when we clip it up and send it out. If it's just a mess, then we just it's just a hot mess. You know, there's nothing we can do with it. Okay. okay. So the first question is, how are you qualified to talk to us about data-driven marketing? The second question is, uh, who do you do business with? How do you add value to their lives? The third question is, what is your recommendation for anyone who wants to get better at data-driven marketing? Question number four, really easy, what should people read? Question number five, um, who can you throw under the bus who might endure or maybe even enjoy to have a conversation like this with me in exactly the way that uh, Dave and uh, uh, Raniel threw you under the bus? Okay, so are we clear on the questions? I think so. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so question number one, how are you qualified? What's that? Do I get a cheat sheet? You don't get a cheat sheet, no. You don't no, get any I notice. Don't. This this is really what you know. Um, I will remind you of the questions, don't worry. Okay. Like now, question number one, how are you qualified to talk to us about data-driven marketing? Um, I started a journey 20 years ago to get into this space. And what I, one of the things I said to myself I would do is, I would be like a sponge. I would talk to everyone that is suggested to me to be an expert in this space, and I would talk to all of them. The second thing I did is I set down an education path for myself to actually try to push the boundaries of my knowledge. Now, I'm a university-educated person. I've, um, I actually lecture in direct marketing, I lecture in um, email marketing in particular as well. but. I wanted to get to a point where I actually said to myself, is there anything more to learn? And I haven't got there yet, So, and I haven't stopped. And I think that the reason I can speak to you today is that I've attended USA, UK, and Australian uh, direct marketing symposiums. I sit there in lecture halls and absorb knowledge. I write journal levels of notes and I absorb knowledge from everyone that calls themselves an expert in this space. And I've been doing it for 22 years. What has, if you looked at why I can actually absorb this knowledge and actually transpose it, it's because I have a focus, a laser focus on what I need to know to drive my client success. And that's the stuff that I gather in terms of knowledge. So when the, Australia, um, the Association of Data-Driven Marketing and Advertising comes to me with a course content and it says, this is for you, I look at it and I say, how is that going to make me a better data-driven marketer? 
And often, more often than not, the answer is it won't. Because too much education is spent, particularly in marketing, spent around creative, around copywriting, which I'm not diminishing as, as skill sets, but we spend far too much time on the creative side of advertising and direct marketing and not enough science and analytics work in the data side of the project because it's boring. You know, like it's not as sexy. The morphine of the last four or five years though is that the people that are paid the most in direct marketing now are actually the data analysts and the data scientists. And I think that that is showing the sign of the times because while you, well, I, I take it one of your expertise is digital marketing, one of the, the realities of digital marketing is it's very easy to implement. It's actually quite hard to analyze and to actually produce ROI metrics that means something to a business because it's too easy to implement. Paper-based mail is a lot harder to implement, so people think about it more, but the skill set has disappeared out of, the, out of the today's market. So that's where my expertise tends to come, come into play. Okay, cool. I mean, the thing is, I do teach digital marketing, that's what I teach, and I'm always thinking about how you categorize, like if, if I teach digital marketing, so I teach all of it, SEO, email, paid ads, blah, blah. So I'm a generalist. I sit at the top. I try and understand how these things work together. That's And that's how I express it to people. Um, now, I think, like in the way I structure my course, there's a day called direct digital direct marketing because it seems to me that the opportunities for digital mar direct marketing, like before the internet, it was phone calls, direct mail, knocking on doors. You know, this was direct marketing before that. Now, all of these platforms have invested in some direct marketing mechanism, whether it's LinkedIn messages in mail or it's um, Instagram chat or it's Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp. You know, they've all invested in it. So I know because they've all invested in having these platforms how powerful it must be but the truth is abramo people hate direct marketing they hate um receiving junk mail they hate receiving spam um they hate being cold called so i mean i am being deliberately provocative <laughs> um, I, I completely i welcome the discussion okay so brilliant. people hate this stuff so how on earth have you been able to sustain a career in direct marketing in something when direct marketing is so despised by everyone? It can't be effective because everyone hates it. That's as challenging as I could put that question. And my challenge to you is to say to you that spam is in the eyes of the beholder. If you are in the market for Viagra, is it still spam? You want me to answer? No, it's not. I mean, if if, if no, I'm in the market for something, if something what... arrives in my inbox, which is about exactly that thing, then I'm not going to, it's I'm not, not going to consider it spam. So I'm 100% with you. This is exactly how I define spam. Yeah. Spam is in the eye of the beholder. And, uh, and th th that's where the data is the key component. 
Because if I know that you're in the market for something, or I know that this suits people of your profile, whatever that profile is, then it becomes less intrusive, doesn't it? So yes. in direct marketing, we talk about the pyramid of intrusion. At the, the top pyramid of, of intrusion, intrusion. Intrusion, okay, yeah, good. Yeah. The top of the pyramid of intrusion is a telephone call. But if you get a telephone call, like I did this morning, I got a, I got a random phone call, not expecting it, from my electricity supplier. My contract's about to end. We'd like to keep you as a customer. What can we do to help? Is that, is that annoying? No. Is it welcome? Yes. So you see how the data has told that telemarketer that my contract's about to end. So that phone call comes out. That's the point here. The point is that if you use the data to tell you what you need to know, you can drive the messaging in terms of when, you can drive the messaging in terms of what, and you can drive the messaging in terms of outcome. And that is the real discussion. Now, where it gets annoying for me and where the part I want to punch someone in the face <laughs> is spam phone calls that have no data behind it other than a phone number. Spam email that comes to your junk mail folder that has no purpose being in there. Spam junk mail that has no purpose in being in your letterbox because it's not data driven. It is, in fact, spam or junk mail, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and the classic is this. I am not in the market for solar energy, yet I get between five and 10 phone calls a week off of solar energy. Why? Because the calls are coming out of the Indian call centers that are charging nothing for the call. Or the client is paying only for leads. So it doesn't matter how many phone calls they make. It doesn't matter how they butcher the solar energy company's brand. They just want to generate leads. So they'll ring a thousand people to generate one lead. That's not direct marketing. That's just junk. So like you, and I grab, I'm so delighted. That, you know, you're the first person who's ever asked that question. So congratulations. That's a great question. Great question about direct marketing. Now, in amongst all of this, there's legislation that protects you. There's the Anti-Spam Act. Or there is the Do Not Call Register. There is the Do Not Mail File. There is the privacy legislation. There's lots of laws that protect people from actually getting stuff that they don't want. Just use it to your advantage and you don't get stuff you don't want. Because all the legitimate direct marketers in Australia respect every piece of legislation. When yeah. Um, I mean, I've also, I don't, I think, what do I think? I think the legislature, I mean, my business changed when I started doing email marketing. I always yeah. did. The first 10, 12 years of my career, I was a salesperson but I always worked for those shitty businesses that never invested in marketing. So I had to do my own marketing. So I was doing telemarketing. I, I know that that's the way I was doing it. That's the way you had to do business. Um, what's the point? When I started my business, we were like a sales consultancy. We were kind of like a canvassing, prospecting kind of consultancy. 
and we then people wanted us to do telemarketing so we did and then when email came into the equation my best my business took a step change it is just insane how many more people i was able to engage with because i was doing email marketing and hands up I wasn't doing the data-driven kind of marketing that you're talking about. No. I was no. begging, stealing, borrowing. If someone was stupid enough to publish an email address, it went into our database. We had the dirtiest, filthiest, nastiest database of <laughs> that you could possibly imagine. It was but we, awful. But we all did. We all did. You know, yes. Because all of a sudden, we could send emails to a 1,000 people and it would cost two cents. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Which is where I started before about this whole digital marketing space. I mean, like the, the, the lessons of digital marketing are part A. Part B is what's it actually worth to you? And what does it actually generate any business for you? That's the kind of analysis that's mission critical in any marketing you do. I mean, yeah. I don't want to sit here and talk to clients about the fact that a campaign didn't work. I want to sit here and talk about a client about how we can improve performance. Yes. There's only one way to improve it. That you've got to have the data in front of you that says that this is what I, this is what I did, and this is what happened. Yes. Then you move forward. You know. A hundred percent. Yeah, but I mean, the whole the, the whole kind of junk mail spam discussion is something that I welcome because I don't want any of it. I do not want to send one piece of direct marketing out there that a consumer rejects. Good. Excellent. You see, I think the reason my business is called, not the reason, uh, I thought it sounded good. So I called myself, uh, I called my business the effective marketing company. The thing is, effectiveness is on a scale, you know, so yes. and, and, and what you learn is that you become more and more and more effective as long as you're doing stuff and as long as you're applying yourself to doing that stuff and Correct. looking Correct. for the feedback and the, the data that can then drive your business. And I think Absolutely. the people... I think the reason people hate direct marketing is because it is done so incredibly badly. It's the reason people do it is because it's so hugely effective. So when I did it in pro probably the worst way you can possibly imagine, not the worst way, everyone I was emailing no, no, was but... a business, you know, but in a pretty shoddy way, it brought about a step change in my business. We went yep. from here to here. We went from, taking on any work we could find to being able to pick and choose the clients that we wanted to work with. That was the difference it made in my business. So it is so incredibly effective, um, but people don't take the trouble to do it well. That's the issue. And your big thing, it sounds to me from what you're saying, is about the targeting, but then there's also about the, the approach and there's, there's also about how people extricate themselves from the situation if it's not going well. You know, if... If you're going to do this in a rude way and and be offended when people feedback like this isn't what I want or need, then I think you're always going to be in trouble if you're doing direct marketing. Correct. Absolutely correct. And, and to be quite frank, I mean, some of the campaigns that I've run in my history have been against my better judgment. I mean, in that I've, I've, I've literally stood there and told clients, don't do this. It's a waste of time and energy and money. In fact, I remember saying to one client, you may as well go and hire a helicopter to drop leaflets across the, the, the metropolitan area of Melbourne. That would be just as effective as what you're doing now. I mean, I even told another client, if you really want this to work, then your best approach is stand on Flinders Street steps and give away $100 notes. Yes. Because that'll, that'll be cheaper than what you're about to do now. <laughs> 
So this is the point about this, is that without the data component, direct marketing is always just going to be annoying. Yes. But if you get the data component right, oh, my God, people literally are almost running to the letterbox to pick it up. You know? Yes. And I've got plenty of examples of that. You know? So the, the other part of it about direct marketing, when it does get annoying, is the fact that there's a lot of it now. I mean, like the sheer volume of communications is probably one of the other things that uh, gets consumers on the wrong side of what marketing should look like. Um, and a classic example of that is email. I mean, like I've started a process now of really pruning my inbox away from the things that I used to subscribe to all these services and I just start pruning, start pruning, start pruning. Um, now, if I'm a typical consumer, and I'm pruning, I'm sorry, I'm probably not a typical consumer because I prune. A typical consumer says, I'll set up a promo box in inbox for my junk mail that comes in. Like, yep. and you know, I've got people in my life that literally have tens of thousands of emails sitting in, a, you know, in folders that they never look at. Um, and some of them are coming from brands that they know and love and trust and all the rest of it. But, the sheer volume is too much, and um, and I wonder why. What 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 are you going to do about it? All that happens there is that readership drops. I mean, I'm sure you understand better than I do. I mean, like in the email marketing space already. I mean, we're seeing open rates half of what they were five years ago. Why is that? Too much of it. Yeah, I would say too much. I would say overwhelm. But what would I say? But then I would say. Um, what I like to do here is make up percentages and talk about them like they're true. So I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say, like you already. <laughs> I'm going to say that 70% of all emails that go out on perfectly valid campaigns is absolute waste. Like that there is they're, they're not targeted. They're, they're not the right person. Do you know, I'm going to say that. And that would then account for, I mean, the, the spam the the, no, the Viagra, the watches, the stock advice, all of that stuff, stuff that's not actual business stuff. Well, that's what it is. That might be 80% of all email marketing anyway. But 70% of the legitimate stuff that where people actually are trying to add value to people's lives, I would say is wasted. So where are we at? We're at something like 93% because <laughs> I've made these statistics up. 93% oh, of it is just completely wasted. It's just complete waste. I'll, I'll share with you the knowledge. The knowledge is that 91%, 91% of all email traffic is spam. Right. So so that's, and I mean the, 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 def, the true definition of spam, which is unsolicited commercial electronic message. That's actually spam. 91% of all email traffic is that. So you're only left with 9% that's actually legitimate traffic. On top of that, you have the added problem of the volume of emails that brands want to send out there. So let's say, for instance, you are, um, I don't know, let's say you're Mercedes-Benz and you want to send email out there. And sorry, and that's a, that's a poor example because Mercedes do a very good job of their DM. Um, DM's a very important part of their marketing mix. But the, the reality is, is that whatever brand you've got, why are you sending that email message today to that person is not asked enough. 
what they're generally saying to you is that we've got a weekly email we send out and we send it to everybody. Okay. So to me, you get the results you deserve. Yeah. And the thing is, I'm guilty of this because I the only real cost of sending too many emails that is sending like a weekly or a bi-weekly or a monthly or whatever is, the only is, cost yeah. of increasing the frequency is the loss of subscribers. And r this is what I tell people, but really that's a really poor um, indicator because like you say, people don't bother. They just send them to, to inboxes that they don't even look at. And this is the, the effect is the same. You've, you've lost that recipient, you know. So I think that's um, true what you're saying. I think that people maybe do send too many emails. Yeah. But then also people don't I, send enough. <laughs> well, no, and, and I think that this is why it's, again, the data is the critical aspect of this, right? We have yes. a brand here in Australia called Catch. Catch yep. is probably Australia's biggest online retail. They send six, six emails a day to some customers. Yes. A day. Now, their analytics will tell you that that produces sales, full stop. Yes. And I think that that's the part that's actually really the missing link in a lot of email marketing is what is the data telling you about your engagement rates with the audience you're sending it to? So start a plan, and then that plan is a, probably a month in the making. At a minimum, you need to run test campaigning over three to six months and carefully analyze what happens. Changing the message structure, changing the message tone, changing the message content, and letting the data tell you what happens along the journey. I send one email out every week that has a between 70 and 92% open rate and a click rate that's in the 40s. Wow. Yes. Now, <laughs> it only goes to 200 people. And it's my local parish church and it's communication to there, to the parishioners of the church. What's the, what's the lesson in that? The lesson is highly engaged audience that's waiting for the weekly bulletin every Friday, or sorry, every Saturday. Um, and it's a message from the parish priest directly to them. There's the clues. <laughs> like, it's yeah, not yeah, rocket yeah, surgery, yeah. is it? Like just, so if you are brand A sending out this week's specials, great. Are the specials related to any part of my shopping history? No. <laughs> okay. So I've got this one brand I like from the US, the clothing brand. It's great because it actually, the stuff fits and it's well made and all the rest of it. It's expensive, but everything lasts. I like it. Sends me women's clothing specials. Like, how hard could it be? <laughs> but anyway, yeah. That's the point. Okay, and I'm torn. i tell you why I'm torn is because, like, you're talking about brands and brands understand the value of marketing and they do it and they overdo it occasionally. That's fine. Sure. Really, the, the people that I'm most interested in are the people who don't do anything like enough marketing. So I'm yeah, okay. always torn. 
So the question is, the opportunity across the whole of digital marketing is to be incredibly targeted to yeah. um, deliver yeah. real value. Like, so yeah. for example, when people put up pay-per-click ads and it's for one thing, and then they send you to the homepage of their website, that's still going on in 2022. Like people oh, no, will not navigate from the homepage. Yes. It astounds me. Yeah. Yeah. So because. the opportunity is to be really, really effective and really, really efficient in these things, but people don't. I want to give you one example of someone, like we have to spray now so you can do your, your next thing. But I'll give you one example. I was doing a training and there were a couple of guys there and we were talking about how often you should send emails. And they said, I said, what happens when you send an email? They said, we make $75,000 every time we send an email. And I'm like, wow, how often do you send the email? Every time we develop a new tool. And I'm like, how often do you tele <laughs> develop a new tool? These are software tools. They're like three times a year. So they're sending out three emails a year and they're making $210,000. Now, I think if they were to double that, because their open rate is probably around 15%, 85% of those people don't even know that you've got this new tool. Do you know what I mean? So, so that's an example at the other end of the scale where people aren't doing it enough. And I think where sensible people like you live is in the middle. So what I'm really interested to do is identify where that middle is but we're only going to be able to do that tomorrow because you've got more important things to do right now. I'll leave you just one thought on that top subject alone. I don't think the answer is to do more. I think the answer is to find out if doing more is better. Okay, good. And that is exactly what I would expect an expert in data-driven marketing to say. Okay, super cool. <laughs> Thanks for your time today, man. I will catch so you. No, tomorrow at... Um, what do we say? I three o'clock. Think we've said two o'clock your time tomorrow. I've sent you an invite. And I've just accepted it. Um, so I've sent it. To, what time did you say? I don't know. I How would I know? I think you I, said. I did, you say did you say three thirty? Did you say three thirty? Whatever, whatever I said, you you actually replicated, and I agreed to. Okay, super cool. Well, there, there is, is an invitation in your in your calendar. I've even said yes. What else do you want? <laughs> <laughs> super cool i'm loving this chat thank you abramo i will see you tomorrow man okay thanks martin take care mate. hello I'm again armando what's that abramo abramo sorry how's my mind um i don't know <laughs> i don't know either i really do worry sometimes um how many, how many red wines did you have at lunch um it's not quite lunch yet so it's just the oh, um, so gin and tonic I had at Elevensies that's the issue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay no, good. Abramo, thank you for being back. Thank you for also not respecting continuity. Everyone knows we had a break of a day to think about this, come up with some really significant answers for people. Um, that's yeah. cool. So where we finished off yesterday is I was telling you about the experience. People were in a course and they were only emailing um, every three or four months when they developed something new, they were software developers, they were making 70 or $80,000 every time they did it. My recommendation would be that they send that much more regularly. Lord knows if I had something that made me $70,000 every time I emailed it, I would be emailing yep. it every 20 minutes. You're saying more emails isn't necessarily the answer. I think that's where we left off yesterday. Yeah, and it could well be the answer, but what I would do is say test the hypothesis. Right, so if you've got a, a, a database of a thousand people that you send an email to, 
just shave off 100 and change what you do and see if you get a different reaction. So that 100 might get six emails or 12 emails, once a month emails, whatever it is. And then just measure it and just see what happens to that in terms of context before you actually throw the baby out with the bathroom. Right. So yes. it, it's just important DM because, and particularly in the digital space, because you can measure it, you absolutely should every single time because the results are instantaneous. And I'll give you a quick example, just on your example, is that, for instance, if the open rate on the three emails I sent is at 50%, you suddenly send it every month and it drops down to 10%. There's a message here. Yes. It's a very simple metric, you know, so that's the point. Okay, and I say this to my groups when I'm teaching digital marketing. The answer to every question in digital marketing is test. You know, because yeah. the whole point of digital marketing, and especially now these direct marketing platforms that we've got, is the feedback, and it's instantaneous. So historically, we'd have put, I don't know, 10,000 pieces of direct mail into the post, and we'd have no idea what happened to them unless somebody actually phoned up and said, like, I got your thing and I want to buy something. Whereas now we know exactly how many we've sent, we know exactly how many arrived, who opened them, all of these things. Um, so you're nodding and you're agreeing with me. But yep. on that point, do you also warn your students that the greatest cross they'll ever bear is the fact that we now know how many people got it, how many people opened it, how many people clicked. So they're actually putting their marketing on test every single time they send out an email campaign, every time they do a digital ad, every time they create a banner, every time they create a website. You actually now know how good you are as a marketer. That actually is a cross to bear for marketers now because we no longer have the excuse that, oh, it's good for the brand. It's good to get awareness out there. Direct marketers have lived by this sword since the 30s. And the reality is, is that we're only as good as our last campaign and we're only as good as the response rate we achieved. So the, the thought process I'm saying to you in terms of teaching this stuff would be that I think it needs to come with a warning label. If you're about to become a digital marketing person, be prepared. You're going to be accountable for everything you do. Okay, well, that's interesting because I come from the other way and like because I want to motivate these people to do it you know so that's yeah, why sure. I keep it as positive as possible uh, but I come from the other way which is that we now have this we now have this feedback so whereas previously before the internet the marketer would be sitting there hoping that the boss wasn't going to come and pick on them because what could we say we put 10,000 piece, pieces of uh, content in the post we don't know what happened we put up a billboard we don't know what happened we ran a tv ad we don't know what happened. Whereas now, because we have this feedback, that we can we can now tell the story of this is what happened, this was the effect, this is what we've learned, this is what we're going to do next time. So I come the other way. But I think you're entirely right. And it comes to something that I am interested in, which is this idea of actually being in the game. You know, because I think lots of people go through their entire career without quite putting themselves in the game. You know, without quite asking oh, the difficult yes. questions. Yeah, good point. Yeah. You're actually put, you know, like 
you're actually putting yourself right in the battle yes. to win a consumer or a customer's attention and their actual response. I mean, without putting yourself in that battle, you're really not doing anything. Yes. And I, I, I will pick up on one point. I actually think we used to have great metrics around the marketing we used to do. Remembering that marketing is not just advertising or communication strategies or whatever. Marketing actually is a mix of product, price, place, physical presence, physical evidence, physical people, all of those things that are actually part of the marketing mix. What we're really focusing our attention on a lot these days is marketing communications. And in back in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, when we didn't have the internet to worry about, you would run a television commercial and yes, you would literally feel the sales come in the door. It's very different now because I don't think you feel it as much when you actually generate sales activity. So you go back to David Ogilvy's book on advertising and what's the number one premise he presents to you is that if the advertising doesn't sell, it doesn't work. Now that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, like, so he focused all of his account managers and people that were client facing on the concept of in growing a client's business, not on producing great ads. But to grow the business, you produce great ads because great ads get attention and they get response, which generates more sales, which makes your clients grow and he becomes a better agency. So it actually was there. It was a lot easier back then than it is now. But a digital marketing person now is faced with the gauntlet of being responsible, accountable, measurable. But can he actually feel the sales? Particularly in a bigger corporate environment, I'm talking about too. So. Yeah. Well, I think even in smaller environments, it's like the business never wants to give you. It's interesting what you're saying, because I think it's true. Um, but the business never wants to give you the feedback. The, never, the business never wants to let you know how successful you're being. You know, so as much as possible, they will hide the sales figures from marketing people. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So and that actively goes on. I've got no idea why, because for me, this should be like a virtuous cycle where you do something, you get the feedback, you see the sales, you see the value, you see the profitability, and then you kind of go back around and, and you do it again. And the effectiveness gets better and the efficiency gets better because Ooh, you are continuously exactly. honing it. Yeah, um, exactly. but bus yeah, but business owners don't want to let salespeople know what's going on. And what you're saying is interesting because I don't know when the awareness thing became the thing, but it did at some point. So there's a brilliant guy, Barnaby Winter, in the UK who's like a brand guy, and he's behind like lots of household brands' names. But he'll tell you they weren't household brands when he picked them up. And his thing <laughs> is he calls it, I don't know exactly what he calls it, he might call it the fallacy of the broadcast industry or not the fraud of the broadcast industry. But what happened at some point is that the broadcast industry got it into everyone's heads 
that everyone in the world needs to know about their products and services. And I think you would also argue that that's not necessary and it's not the case. What Barnaby says is if he needs to make 10 sales, he doesn't really want more than 10 people on his website, you know, because it should be that targeted, that directed, that easy, that you can just convert those 10 people. Um, Which is never the case. But but the fact is you're, you're going down this path where this concept of generating awareness was a justification for spending more money on broadcast media. Yes. So it became this point of difference where broadcast media was your branding tool. That's yes. how you actually branded a product. Um, and the direct marketing, for instance, couldn't achieve brand. That yep. wasn't it. You, know, you can't build a brand using direct marketing. I actually used to lecture on the basis that you could. But the fact of the matter is, is that there's a perception amongst marketers is that the only way to build brand is you've got to be in a broadcast environment, which includes outdoor advertising, it includes radio, newspapers, all the rest of it. But these days, you'll notice that a lot more advertising that you see in the broadcast environments tend to be direct response. So come into our showroom, come and visit our website, go and buy this today. A lot more of it is down that path rather than that classic brand message. And very few marketers now actually spend the, the sort of budgets they used to spend on brand work. Um, and it's a, probably a sign of the times where marketing's becoming a bit more accountable. Um, you know, you've got CEOs saying, well, yeah, I've just spent $10 million on advertising. What have I got to show for it? You know, and that's where you end up with net promoter scores and brand index surveys and um, brand equity reports. And so even that side of it has become more accountable, which is a good thing. It's a good thing. But I mean, like it, it means that to be a marketer in a corporate environment or to be a marketer for a, a medium-sized enterprise is not simple anymore. Um, it, it, is, it is a career path where you have to be part scientist and part artist. And that's the part that actually is excites me because that's almost describes my personality type. But I mean, but a lot of marketers go in there because of the imagery and the creativity of marketing, not so much the science part of it. Yes. Okay, so you've hit on another one of my issues. I call it the Kardashian effect. The Kardashian. Where, wow. Yeah. Where at the point where so many people know you, it kind of becomes really easy to make money. Do you know what I mean? At the point, I tell you who really annoys me with this is I don't know if you're aware of a guy called Gary Vaynerchuk. Are you aware of Gary Vaynerchuk? I think so, no. Okay, good. You are blessed. <laughs> because what this guy does is he's like the most famous. He's like the Kardashian of all of the marketers. And what he says right. is not really very interesting or useful. It's, it's wrong is what he says. So I saw a talk of his, and I critique sometimes like content on the internet, and his content is on the internet. Um, and one of his recommendations was... Um, I can't remember which brand it was, but it was one. I'll tell you who it was. It was Salesforce. He was saying, if I was Salesforce, I would take out an ad during the Super Bowl. 
Oh, sure. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Because everybody knows that everybody who likes football is also charged with buying CRMs for their organization. Everyone knows that, you know. So, so th- this is the That's thing. Like to, Absolutely. Yeah. So to bring perspective to it, he benefits from the Kardashian effect. Everyone knows him. And there are people who will want to who will buy into that and will want to employ the most famous marketer because that's what they think they need to be is the most famous, even if it's in their industry. Do you know what I mean? So there is some effect. If you are a Kardashian and you've got 100 million followers and you produce a shoe, a couple of thousand or a couple of hundred thousand of those tens of millions of followers are going to buy that shoe. So there is a level where it works. But my argument would be, firstly, it's hugely wasteful, wasteful grossly inefficient and not appropriate to 99 point something percent of the businesses you've just described the definition of helicopter marketing yes you hire a helicopter you fly it over the city of melbourne and you just keep dropping leaflets yes on the principle that one of them will fall into one person's hands that will go and buy the product multiply that out by the seven million people that live here and you sell a couple of thousand products. Yes. In the meantime, you receive all these complaints about the litter you've caused. And in a digital world, we call it spam. Yes. <laughs> and what the problem with spam is, and this is the only problem with spam, is that it butchers the media. Yes. So there's no respect for the media anymore. So you get an email in your inbox and you go, ah, Again, piss off. Yes. Because you start to then dismantle your respect of the media because all this stuff arrives and you didn't ask for it. And it's the same as on my Instagram feed, for instance. And I'm very particular about my Instagram feed. It's only family, only friends. It's very personal to me. I don't want a lot of stuff coming through to it. But if it does come through and it's relative relative to what I like, I love it. Yes, yes, yes. Now, for whatever reason, Instagram seems to have it right. I only get stuff in my feed that I like to see, even though it's an ad. Now, if it's if I've suddenly got Salesforce CRM software being offered to me, I'd go, what? No. So yeah, completely agree. And I think what we've got to do is start to think about it as marketers is actually respecting the media that we're going to use to reach our audience. So all those things are important. Respect, media, and the audience. All those words come together to create a campaign that's more meaningful than dropping leaflets out of a helicopter. Good. Uh, I think that as well. And I'm glad it's come back around to spam because I've got another question about this. I'm with sure. you 100% that spam is in the eye of the beholder. Like if I receive right. it and I don't yeah. like it and I think it's spam, then it is spam. And whoever yeah, sent it, it has got no argument as far as I'm concerned. And there is a, a, a tighter definition around if it's unsolicited or, you know, and there's, it varies in different parts of the world. In the UK... If a business has published an email address, it's fair game. You can send unsolicited mail. In the States, you can't. You know, So there's variations in that. 
But I think the bottom line is, if I receive it and I don't like it and I feel like it's spam, then it is essentially spam. Correct. The question I have for you is to what extent are the regulators or the regulations, to what extent is the regulation effective in preventing spam or preventing spammers? And there's, there's depth to this. I've got this whole issue. For some reason, like cybersecurity has become an issue. I've, I've interviewed a few people around cybersecurity recently. And what they told me is that 93% of all cybersecurity breaches come from email. So you talk about trashing the medium. That really trashes the medium, you know. If, oh, absolutely. absolutely. Um, and then as email marketers, what happens is we get lumped in because it's in the eye of the beholder. We get lumped in now with the fraud, fraudsters, the Nigerian princes. We get lumped in with the um, um, the fishers. We get lumped in with all of these people. Now, we're not, like, who are actual criminals. We're just not very good marketers. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's not a crime what we're doing. And it seems to me like there should be three categories, or two categories at least. There should be a, this is junk. I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't want to see it again. And then there should be, this is fraud. Send someone around these people's houses to lock them up. Do you know what I mean? But because there's no distinction between those things, we all get lumped. We are all just spammers. The Nigerian princes, the the Viagra stuff, the watches, the stock advice, the, all these things, the fishers, the actual, the hackers. You know, we're all lumped in together. It seems to me like there isn't much discernment around that. Um. There will be if you, as the email marketer, respect your audience more, right? And we, I got, remember, we, we started this whole conversation talking about personalization and data, right? Yeah. And let the data drive the communications. Yes. So, Matt, if you came in and bought a set of shampoo products from me and I knew who you were and I had a special next week on that shampoo product, and I sent you that email because you bought that and made those connections within the email that I'm sending to you. You see how that starts to reduce that kind of credibility problem with the media because the data is driving the comms and I'm only sending it to you because you're a purchaser of that product. Where I get annoyed is that the legislators actually have no influence or power or have had any effect on the amount of unsolicited commercial messaging get, that gets sent out there. In fact, in the time the legislation has been in place, which has been, a, which is about, I think it's about 15 years, maybe 17 years, spam, which is unsolicited commercial messages, have probably quadrupled in that time. Yes. It's had no material impact whatsoever. The other issue is that most of the bureaucrats that run these that run these organisations have actually no understanding of the technicality around sending an email. You know, do they understand anything about demarking and DKIM and HTML code and the fact that you can route email through fifteen different servers before you actually deliver it to an inbox? Email is a complicated, dark, dark place. Right to actually craft an email and send it and get it delivered to where it's intended to be delivered 
is, is, is that is as scientific as you ever want to get and as technical as you ever want to get. Whereas our bureaucrats who run these organisations are probably, you know, and I, and I can't expect them to. It's a very complicated field. But to be quite frank, they don't have any idea. Now, in terms of cybersecurity and all the rest of it, the best I've ever seen with that is this. And this is what this is the sort of stuff I love, I love to read about. Is I know of an organization here in Melbourne where the IT department sends out phishing scams to their own staff to teach them not to actually click on unknown links from unknown emails. Yes. And what they will do is they'll send them something, and when they click this link, they get this lovely little warning message that said, you've been caught, don't do it again. And that teaches a lesson. But what that does to our industry is, is that every time you get an email, are you going to click a link? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I'm scared. Should I be scared? This is the problem with, with, with all of our digital world now. It's because everyone's almost too scared to click a link. In Australia yeah. at the moment, if, if you get an SMS with a link in it, are you going to click it? <laughs> well, increasingly you're not hovering, is the answer. You're hovering over the... Yes. No, delete. So here's the rub on this. Number one, the brands that do this well, and there are a few that actually do it really well, will not only seek your permission to send an email, they use what they know about you to personalise that message to you so you, they build credibility with you. Yes. Number two, they re-seek your permission on a regular basis. And they're not scared to delete email data off their database from people who won't revalidate their email address. They just delete it. If that means cutting their database in half, so be it. We only want to be emailing with the people that want us to email them. And they have a regular cleansing and validating process across the year to try to ensure that as many people are as engaged as possible. Is this easy? Absolutely, categorically not. <laughs> Is it necessary? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so I think, um, what do I think? Okay, firstly, I think the bureaucrats are peculiarly, singularly, poorly equipped to address these issues because it Agreed. only ever will be a bureaucratic solution. So what I say to my groups, because I want to motivate them to do marketing, is that spam is in the eye of the beholder, but also the beholder might be in a different mood. You know, so I will, if I'm in a great mood, I'll be much more tolerant of yeah, bad things that right. happen to me, like um, uh, receiving spam. Um, and what they've kind of done, I think, with the regulations is they've made it so that they don't expect to catch many people, but when they do catch you, it's going to be a horror show. So some of them in the UK, I think it's 10% of turnover is the fine. So 10% of turnover. 10% of turnover. So that is business closing wow. kind of penalization. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The thing is, I might be in a bad mood the day that I'm really upset about the email. 
but I'm not going to be able to sustain that bad mood for the 14 months this takes to go through the courts. So I don't imagine anyone has ever actually been found guilty and charged and paid 10% of their turnover. And this is the rub for me, is the only people that deters, because it doesn't deter the Nigerian princes, it doesn't deter the industrial spammers, it doesn't deter the fishers, because like you say, they're hiding behind 20 servers. You know, no one's finding them. The only people it deters are the small business owners that could really, really benefit by having email marketing working for them in their business. And that for me is the rub yeah, of all of this. Except that a couple of things, right? First of all, in this country, the fines are not 10% of turnover, but they are substantive, right? And you are 100% right about the fact that it's actually quite well-known brands that get punched in the face here. I mean, it's not some, you know, it's not some Nigerian prince sending out emails. Yeah. Um, but we have to insist on the concept of getting better at what you do, right? Yes. Now, we've got legislation that's been in place now for 17 years in this country about spam legislation, yet I still get questions asked about whether I can do something. I go, well, the answer is no. I mean, you can't do that. And it's pretty black and white. I mean, that's not, I mean, it's a little bit of gray area in our legislation, but it's not that, not that much of it. I mean, so if I'm a small businessman and I'm actually doing an email campaign to consumers and I've gone and bought some list of email addresses and just decided to go and smash it out there, well, I mean, to be quite frank, you're an idiot. Don't do it. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's some basic premises here about email marketing. One is, if you don't have their permission to send an email, don't. <laughs> like, just don't. <laughs> so if, if you don't understand that, well, maybe you do need a little wrap over the knuckles to maybe make you understand it. I mean, I'm, I'm not here to... Uh, I don't think that there's any real great merit in saying that our legislation needs to be tighter. No. I don't think there's any great merit in saying we more, need more bureaucrats chasing this. No. I do feel that there's a need to actually run some sort of broad-based, business-orientated education program that says, do this, not this. But then if you choose not to, well, you probably are, probably in the back of your mind, or even subconsciously, you know you're doing the wrong thing, so maybe you deserve a bit of a fine. Now, the fines here are not 10% of turnover. So here they range, you know, they can be anything up to a million dollars, but I mean, like, to get to a million dollars, you've done a really bad thing. But, you know, they're substantive enough to teach you a lesson. Um, so I am, um, I want to see businesses doing the right thing with all of their marketing, right? Remembering that we also have a do not call register. So I'm leaving aside email for a second. I mean, if you've got a business that's doing outbound phone calls and ringing people that are on the do call, call register, well, you're an idiot. Don't do it. <laughs> um, if you've got people that have told you that they don't want to receive any communications from you and you send them communications, you're an idiot. Stop doing it. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of kind of where I sit with this. The only other part of it too is educating consumers about this and actually teaching them what to do about the fact that they're getting stuff they don't want to get. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what else to 
to, to actually say to a consumer other than if you don't want to receive something, make the phone call, send the email, send a letter, whatever you want to do, but tell the company that's writing to you to stop writing to you. Yes, yes. And in the main, well, in fact, not in the main, everybody I've ever worked with honours that request. Good. This is the way, and I think you've hit the nail on the head. The truth is, and it might be the most idiotic thing in business, is that businesses just don't respect their market. They don't respect their customers. You know, that's a change that's gone on, I think, where, and I think it's because of this kind of automation, and I think it's because of this kind of, it's all going through this filter. It's all digital. It's not you. It's not face to face. It's not yeah, voice to true. voice. Do you know what I mean? So there's this filter. It's that bit more removed. But I think, yeah. I think what you're actually communicating, if you are spamming people, and I think I'd be much more liberal about, you know, how you collect data and who you send to than you. But that's fine. I think there's room for that to happen. I think the principle of database marketing, which is what we're talking about is you can market to the whole world or you can just market to that bit of the world that has shown some interest in you. It's like fish farming. You know, you can fish the entire ocean or you can just cultivate this little bit that has exactly what you need in it. And if you're doing fish farming or you're running a trout farm, what you don't do is throw every piece of crap you can find in there because it's going to it's going to make it's going to make Correct. your farm yeah. that little bit less yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's the principle. And I think that should be the criteria. The criteria should be are you respecting your market? Are you respecting your database? And because that to oh. me speaks volumes about actually whether you are the sort of business that businesses should be doing business with or otherwise. Yeah, and I think that that's such an important word in any form of marketing is actually that concept of respect. Now, yes. the respect means that I know who you are and in particular, I know that you're a previous customer of mine. Yep. So out of respect to you, I'm offering you something that I think you could be interested in because I know who you are. Now, that's likely to have a completely different reaction to the example I gave you yesterday, which was, you know, I've got an American brand who I buy clothes off sending me their women's range. Now, why? Why am I getting this? Why I'm getting this is what they've done is that part of the database gets everything. This part of the database just gets something else. This part... And it's it, to me, it's this whole batch and blast type of approach, which is just a nonsense. And you know, like we've got uh, CRM systems now that are so affordable and so powerful. And again, why are you doing this? <laughs> you don't need to spend the time, either find yourself somebody that can help you, or spend the time to learn it yourself and get better at what you do because. To tell you the truth, what we do is not rocket surgery. No. I mean, it's most of it is process driven and your ability to just learn some simple tasks and just be diligent about the tasks you perform. It's yes. not that complicated, right? Now, I think if you talk about some of the 
technical aspects of marketing, like you know, print production or producing a HTML website or something. Yeah, there's some you know, there's some skills that you need there. And quite frankly, if you don't want to learn them, that's fine. There's plenty of people out there that will do it all for you. Um, but I think that, that one of the parts we want to circle around to is how do you find people that will help you? We are uh, coming that to that's that. That's a real one. Good. We are 100% coming to that. Um, there's something else that I wanted to say about um, respect. It's like, it, I think, well, I've got some answers to the questions that you're answering. I don't know if they're the right answers, but they're my idea. Sure. This idea of mass marketing, mass media, mass, 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 more is better always, I think contributes to the fact that everyone is just filling their databases up with rubbish um, because yeah. Yeah. here's the real thing that I think is that businesses don't believe that they are in the world actually offering value or delivering value. And so they're hoping that something that falls out of your helicopter lands at the feet of someone who is stupid enough to buy at one time so that they can at least make a little bit of money. And this is where it comes to me, where it's 180 degrees, the opposite of what you think is true. Just offer value. Do you know what I mean? Just be respectful. Just Because if you are if you know your database is full of junk, you're not going to respect anyone in your database. Whereas if no, you've no, actually invested in making your database... Yes. So if you know that the people in your database are going to take value from what you're offering and are potentially going to be a customer and are potentially going to contribute to you having a nicer car and a nicer holiday and all these things, then I think that that respect will come. There was one other thing that I wanted to say, which was, um, let's not go there. Let's go to question number two, because question number two is really important. Do you want the good news? No. You don't want the good news? I just wanted to say no, because most people say yes. Okay, so you don't want the good news. Do you want it or not? <laughs> I'm not sure. What is it? It's really good news. The good news is I think you're eminently qualified to talk to us about data-driven marketing. So we can now go on to question number two. <laughs> okay. So question number two. <laughs> it's always a relief when we get here. It always is. Yes. <laughs> so, so question number two is who do you work with and how do you add value to their lives? So this is your opportunity to have a bit of a boast about how you actually deliver success for your customers and maybe give us an indication of what you have to do to deliver that success. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, um, you know, in some ways, it's a really interesting question because I always struggle to answer this in a way because I've got such a diverse client, client base that who do I work with is, is a question more broadly answered by this concept of high involvement purchase decisions. So I work with clients where the delivery of information is critical to making their sale. Now, a good example of that is uh, property investment. So where I work there is if, if, if someone is building a high-rise apartment building and they feel that one of their audiences might be property investors, I help them target property investors because the, the, the methodology I use is about delivering as much information to that property investor as possible to make a purchase decision. If you're selling cars, if you're selling um, software services, if you're selling... So none of the stuff I do is sits in any way, shape or form near that fast-moving consumer goods space. 
So you're not going to use Dorada-driven marketing to sell shampoo. You're going to use primarily you're going to use um, you know things like broadcast media and um, other tools to actually sell that type of product. Having said all of that, yes, there are some niche players in all of these things that use some data-driven marketing to try and actually sell products for. Um, and you know, when you're talking about low involvement purchases and all the rest of it like that, it tends to not be as, as effective as you as you could like. So the sort of clients I work with, I've got a, a broad range. My sweet spot is customer acquisition. So what I do for a living is help my clients find new greenfield customers. The methodology I use is I do a deep dive into their current customers, profile them, and try to find people that look like them at an individual level, not household level, at an individual level. And I've got data sets available to me that actually allow me to do that. What we then do is run through a period of experimentation and testing modules to actually work out which is the best approach that produces the best ROI to deliver to them new customers. I also do, I separate the two between business to consumer and business to business data-driven marketing. So um, an example is a business to business campaign. I work with a company that sells um, software that manages infrastructure in local government environments. Very tight audience, very tight product, the problem is that the data set that they want to use doesn't exist. So you have to go and build it. So one of our projects was to employ someone to sit on the phone, ring every local government in Australia, find out who the right people are, then put them onto a database and then start the prospect journey after that. So as you can see, my claim to fame only sits in the concept that I do bespoke campaigning based on the needs of the particular client. I don't have a plug and play package. I've never worked like that. Much to my chagrin sometimes, Martin, because it drives me nuts that I've got to do literally bespoke campaigning every client. So I don't take on board a lot of clients. I try to do a lot of work for a smaller number of clients. Um, if I had a secret source, it is about the deep dive and the analytics around their current customer to drive what we do to find new customers. An example, I'm doing, I'm doing some work for one of the major LPG gas companies. The analysis that I wanna do involves, if their target audience is um, spray painters, how many do they have now? Where are they? And where are the gaps? And market to the gaps to acquire more of the same industry. That gives me a point of difference, I believe, from a lot of other uh, direct marketing vendors. So I, I believe that that's kind of a, um, is a secret source. Now, it's not impossible for someone to replicate that secret source, no. But the fact is that that's what I do, and that's how I do it. Okay, so it really, really comes down to the targeting then. It really comes down to understanding their current customers, and then going out and looking for more. So one of the ways that you've acquired this data then is on the telephone, identifying the people getting their data that way. How else might you go about acquiring data? 
Oh, uh, in the business to consumer space, we might actually use some behavioural targeting online. Um, I have, I'm act, I've got access to a, a, some very substantive email databases. So we might run some cost per click or cost per acquisition activity in those email databases where we might offer some incentive to leave your details. And that may well take um, all sorts of forms. Sometimes it's competition entries um, built and competitions built around the product category. I mean, if you're a travel company and you want to build your database up of people that are interested in travel, you know, you might offer an incentive to complete a survey about travel intentions and then leave your details and then they can remarket to you. Uh, if you are B2B marketer, a, lot, a bit more complicated, but I mean, you know, it can be done in the same sort of line as well. So, I um, mean, for instance, uh, I'm running some campaign at the moment from one of the major universities to sell their MBA program. That's done on a cost per click basis, uh, where we target people that are likely to be in that kind of career stage that um, might be interested in an MBA. But as you can see, there's a bunch of different techniques and I don't have a package approach to it. So what is your audience? Where am I likely to find them? And then we'll work out how we're going to get to them. Okay, super cool. And for you, if a campaign's going well, what do the metrics look like? Like the receive rates, the open rates, the click rates, those kinds of things. Where do you feel comfortable that you are doing it well? That's what I'm interested to know. Uh, when the client tells me we're doing well. Okay. Because to be, to be quite frank, Martin, you can't be glib about this. You can't be universal about this. Um, a client that's used to getting 4% open rates and a quarter of 1% click rates, I mean, is not comparable to someone who's getting 80 or 90% open rates because of the, the technical nature of their, of their marketing. So what I tend to do is actually, again, deep dive into the, their campaigning and say, what are you expecting to achieve out of this? Ultimately, what most of my clients want because my clients tend to be small to medium-sized enterprises. I don't really deal with corporates. Um, what they want is sales. They almost couldn't care less about how. Not, not quite true. I'm just being dramatic to make a point. But if yeah. the cash register is ringing, they're happy. So the, my good, clever clients understand that there's a, there's a journey they've got to take a prospect through. So my job is to fill their prospect funnel up. But I've got to fill it with the right sort of prospects. So when you talk about what is my measure of success is the conversion rate. Yes. How many prospects have I given them that are converting into customers? That's the only metric that matters. It, and that is a deep relationship with your client because they have to share that. If you're not prepared yes. to share that, Generally speaking, I don't really want them as clients. Yeah, well, you're just throwing shit over the wall if um, if you don't if you don't get that feedback. You know, that's hundred percent. And the reason I'm pulling a face is not because I'm disagreeing with you, but because this is the learning for me of these conversations that I'm having. Because I always felt, I mean, I think I still feel to some extent, but there has to be a quality check in there. You know is that like there's a process they have to receive it they have to open it they have to click they have to do whatever's on do you know what i mean there's that process and so i think what i've always done 
certainly in the marketing sense. I mean, I came to marketing from sales, but I've always, yeah, right. I've always felt like if if we get those numbers right, then the outcomes will be right. But they're not necessarily the case. The key, one hundred percent, like you say, is people want, and like, I don't know if you're interested in f actual football, are you? Like actual football, like we play in the UK. So is that with the round ball? That's with the round ball that would they kick it with their feet. I know you've got about that's, half a dozen sports that you call footy in Australia, just, so I just need just, to check that this just, is right. Just get a red marker and just put a line through it. <laughs> right. So I you're not interested real in this. Football. Real football. <laughs> right. Anyway. It's got an oval ball, a lot harder to hit. No, that's right. No, I, I don't mind soccer. I, I just, I'm just not a massive fan of it. Okay, cool. So let me fill you in. There is this beast that has just joined the Premier League called uh, Harland. He's six foot four. He is just a, a machine. It's insane. He has already scored. He's just broken the record for the number of hat tricks, the number of games it achieves, it takes to achieve the, a number of hat tricks. The previous record right. was 48. He's done it in eight games. It's insane. <laughs> He's played something like 11 oh, games. You. What's yeah. his name? His name is Haaland, H-A-A-L-A-N-D. And so what's interesting about this is that he, in a game, might have six touches. He'll score three goals. Like That's his entire involvement in the game is that he touches the ball six times and he scores really? three goals. And he says his mission is to touch the ball five times and score five goals. You know, that will be his perfect game. And you have to agree with that. And that, But this is what I'm kind of learning about marketing from people like you, from people like um, Barnaby Winter, is that actually if it's really going to be efficient, it could be as efficient as that. You're talking about landing the right message on the right person at the right time. I'm also talking about that. But what, the way I'm doing it is I'm dropping leaflets out of helicopters. I'm landing messages on everyone all of the time. And so very occasionally it target, will. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And this is what Gary Vaynerchuk is doing. And this is what um, the Kardashians are doing. And I think it works, but it's not, it's not replicable. It's not like someone can knock on my door and say, I want to do what Gary Vaynerchuk does. It's okay. Let's rewind 20 years and let's just make sure you're on the, 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 the top of the wave on everything that's yeah. coming through. So first of all, it has to be email, Good then luck. it's gonna to have to be SEO, then it's gonna to have to be, yeah. and then 20 years later, you will have 6 million people watching your YouTube videos, you know, so. Yeah, but yeah. on that point though, Martin, and that's this, is that, I mean, one of the best lessons I learned in the very first year I got into direct marketing was that you need to be thinking down this path of what you've just mentioned is. So your thought process is, what do I have to do to get a hundred percent response rate? Yes. What is it I've got to do uh, to get that? And I've got to say that actually having that as a thought process changes the way you think about your marketing, right? Because it means that you, it's not about dropping leaflets out of helicopters anymore. What it is, is about if I could send five messages and get five new customers, then I'm a hero. Yes. I'm an absolute hero. But I'll give you a quick example, and I've just got to reach down into my bin to show it to you. But this is a classic example of what we're up against in today's world, right? Yeah. One of the pharmaceutical companies has got a product recall. 
This is a mailing, paper mailing, that has to go out under Therapeutic Goods Association guidelines, sorry, authority guidelines, has to go out to all of this audience. It's only a small audience, 350. And they have to actually either QR code or call to say that they've received it and actioned it. Right? So this is pretty important. So it goes out in an envelope that looks like that. Okay. Good. Can you see what, like that person has actually rejected this mail piece and sent it back. And it's come back to you. Are you sending these? I'm sending these on behalf of the client. You're sending these on behalf of, and but, they've rejected it and they've sent it back. Why? Because they probably thought it was some sort of marketing scam. Yes. And, because it looks a bit marketing, doesn't it? Because it says urgent product defect yes. alert. It kind of looks a bit marketing, doesn't it? You know, so I go to you to say that it's not that straightforward to get a 100% response rate. But if you are actually in a mindset that says, what have I got to do? At least you're working hard to try to get there. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to say to yourself, I need to work hard to get to that nirvana. It's never achievable, understood. But if you don't have that mindset, you are never going to get better at this stuff, right? You're yeah. going to keep just getting, just going along with the flow and pushing messages out there and hoping for the best. And I think that that's the part that I, I, and that's my mindset. My mindset with my clients is this, is what, what are we going to do to get better response rates? Okay, so if you're suddenly getting that half a percent, how do we get from half a percent to 1%? Then how do we get from 1% to 2%? That's what I'm thinking about. Yes. And the thing is, it's like the frogs and the princes, isn't it? It's like you have to kiss a lot of frogs to find a prince is the attitude yeah. to marketing. But I would go further than what you're saying. And I would say it's not just about response rates. It's just your business should be designed around knowing exactly who you can help and exactly yes. how you can help them. And then the marketing is essentially just a mechanism for communicating to that to other people that you could be helping. So I think it goes to the very base. Firstly, yeah, know exactly who you can add value to, exactly how to add that value, and then how to communicate that to other people. I don't feel yeah. like that's what's going on in the world. I think what's going on in the world is that people are just hoping that people are going to take some value out of what they're doing or not. Well, they're just going to give up some money one time, you know? Yeah, but the primary reason that's happening, though, is because digital marketing is cheap. Yes. This is what you if said at you, the very beginning. Yeah. If you said to me that you said multiply the digital marketing CPM rates or so, multiply them by 100. And charge, where you, if you're charging $2 a click now, charge 200 a click. Yeah. What changes? What do you reckon it would change? Well, the change you would be the focus. Yeah, but the focus would change. All yes. of a sudden you say, well, hang on, I'm going to pay 200 bucks every time some bozo clicks that. I better make sure it's the right bozo. Yes. Right, and that's what happened. It's the same as when we were running television campaigns. For, for and I worked in TV. I sold advertising space in TV. The fact of the matter is, is that when I went out to see my client um, and sold him some space, I knew very well I'd be back there the next week. And I'd be, the first question he'd be asked was, "How'd we go?" 
And if you looked around his showroom and the place was empty, you went, tick. <laughs> and he yeah. booked his next campaign. But yes. if you went in there and he had the sour look on his face, having spent 20 grand and got nothing to show for it, how do you reckon that conversation goes? Not so well. But, but and that, the, what, what digital media has done, though, is almost taken away the pain. Oh, you know, you can spend 20 bucks on Facebook and see how we go. That is so <laughs> true. That is so true. And I think what I've been guilty of before this conversation, because like we're all subjected to these awful approaches on LinkedIn, you know, where they like, oh, yes. can we connect? And then the next thing is, can you buy something? And then you're like, I don't really fancy it. And then they're like, well, you then you're an idiot. I don't like you. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's awful. It's awful, awful, awful. But then we're also subjected to these people who come out and go, People should be much more targeted and considerate and blah, blah, and intelligent about the way they do it. And I think what I do is, because there's clearly somewhere in there is there's the line, I'm always, I think, much more generous to the idiot marketer who at least is trying to do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's I, true. I, I, yeah, I that's, want there to be space for those way. people to go, to grow. Yeah, um, yeah. But what's the point of that? The point is that maybe I'm being too generous. You know, maybe... The entire focus of your business, I think, should be on who is your customer and how do you actually add value in their lives. And the more you know about that, the more effective and successful you will be. And doing well, anything yeah. else. I mean, I, I often wonder, like, LinkedIn is a really interesting environment for someone like me. Um, what do I use LinkedIn for? What's its, what's its primary purpose in my life? And I go, I think number one for credibility. I'm there, so you can find me. There's some client endorsements, or which kind of say I'm all right. Um, do I ever use it as a marketing tool? Maybe, I've tried it a couple of times, I've tinkered with it. Not really done much for me, but it's done a little bit, but you know, I could stop. I, um, I feel that out of respect for the people I would actually approach on LinkedIn, Surely you can, because, and sorry, that's where this, this concept that there's no excuse for not doing it, by the way, too. If I'm about to send you a message on LinkedIn to try to connect, surely it should be targeted. Because I can look up your profile, I can see what you do for a living, and the message I send you should be absolutely rifle point targeted. So drawing a connection between my business and your business. No excuse. Yet I get approaches from everybody that sells anything. Yes, yes, yes. You should you do go, LinkedIn. Okay. You should do LinkedIn because LinkedIn is amazing. Like if you took, because LinkedIn essentially is a direct marketing platform. That's that's what it is. Like yeah, whatever great. you okay. might think about it is, that's what it is. Um, and people are doing it so incredibly badly. But if you were to take what you know about direct marketing and apply it to LinkedIn, you would do enormously well for you and for your clients. Oh, you really would. No denying it. The only thing is for me, and I, it, these days it's all about capacity for me. Yes. Right? Um, yep. And I don't live, I don't live a, a life by a lot of the models that I come up with. Okay. Like a good example is, you know, like <laughs> – I was taught a long time ago, you should spend about 10% of your day prospecting. No matter how busy you are, 
spend 10% of your day prospecting, right? Yeah. Because you can fill in the you fill your own funnel and then you're on, obviously you'll always be busy. I don't do any of that stuff. I've got uh, a good set of clients now that are okay. Um, I welcome a new client that comes on board, but realistically, I'm okay. But I agree with you 100% in the sense that LinkedIn is the perfect environment to do this properly. Yes. The only example I was saying to you is that I see so much of it, which is done poorly on there, that it, it really disturbs me. Because yes. you need to do the work. I mean, and I could go through my thousand, I think I've got 890 or whatever it is, connections on LinkedIn. And yes, what I should do is go through them all and make the connections. Some of the connections, are, 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 the organisations are too big. So again, this is the analysis. You know, I could go in there and I've got a connection with, I don't know, someone at Qantas. Well, I'm never going to approach Qantas to sell their marketing services. Uh, it's not one of the, I don't know, the capacity for someone like a Qantas. So, yeah. No, and but I think that as well. Yeah, there's no reason that it shouldn't be as targeted as that. And you're right, it's not. Like, But this is true of the whole of marketing. Like, Everyone is doing it so incredibly badly. And I think that's what um, brings up... I think that's, like you're saying, they're trashing the platforms, but I think it makes it easier to stand out when you're doing it right, you know? So I think that's... that's oh, it does. It does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, super cool. Question number three. Can you, in one or two minutes, so we can clip this up and put it on TikTok, give us your recommendation for people who want to get better at data-driven marketing? One or two minutes? Come on, man. I'm trying to summarize a lifetime of this crap. Good. That's how you start a TikTok video. You're on the right track. (laughs) (laughs) In one or two minutes, what I'd say is this. First of all, uh, make sure that you've got some facility to store data about your customers and about your prospects. Number two, build an engine that queries that data to produce you a subset of the data that's worthy to receive your message. Then make sure your message is using the data to deliver the message specifically to the audience that should be receiving it. Now, that's a right, a kind of convoluted way of saying, pick out the right people to get the right message at the right time and be respectful. Brilliant. You see, you were perfectly capable of it and you resisted. That's okay. Um, what did I want to say? I I'm just thinking t- back. I've resisted TikTok is what I've resisted. I, I've gone, I'm on every media, social media platform except TikTok. Well, you're going to be on and TikTok Snapchat. now, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Good. So I'm just remembering back to like, I remember when I was a salesperson, when I had my first sales job. And I like you say, you're saying part scientist, part artist. I say part geek, part creative. I used to love it when I get to work and I'd open my database and there's all those empty fields. And it was just like, it gave me so much joy to put information in every single field. Do you know what I mean? And get that, that was satisfaction enough for me. Do you know what I mean? Like using it and making the sales was great. What's that? In fact, when I open up a contact record and it's got empty fields, I go, oh, what's happening here? What the freak's going on? Yeah, yeah. Get on the phone. Why don't I know your business title? Give it to me now. Thank you. And yeah, why yeah, yeah. I, and it's, I love I mean, that. I, look, I, I do it too. I mean, and again, you know, 
it is sometimes a case of the the expert preaching a pro process that he doesn't actually implement himself. But I, I tend to be quite a bit, um, you know, good detailed about some of this sort of stuff. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I think that's what kind of data-driven marketing, data-based, you kind of have to be part scientist, part nosy Parker, part creative. Do you know what I mean? You've got to be really, yeah, 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 I yeah. think, interested. You've got to be interested to be interesting. That's what I think. And um, yeah. Yeah. Good. I, yep. The one other thing, I'll, the last thing I'll say about the, the whole database marketing thing is, uh, not the last thing, I'm sure you've got other questions, but um, is that there is a special thrill out of getting this stuff right. And I, but sometimes there's a bit of adversity about it as well. And a bit kind of, I ran a campaign recently where this gentleman rings me up and says, I hear that you've, you've sending out mailing on behalf of uh, client XYZ. I said, yeah, yeah. How did you know that I was in the market for a BMW? I said, no, that's just a coincidence. No, I'm telling you, you knew this because you sent me an offer from BMW. Now, I didn't know that, but thank you for me validating the fact that my targeting was right. So when you get that right, I mean, he was quite upset about the whole thing and felt that there was someone watching him and all that sort of stuff, and, which was all kind of, you know, I, I kind of get it. But when I finally got off the call, I literally, literally did the little dance of joy in and around my office, you know, because that's validation that whatever you did in terms of the targeting, you got it right. You know, like I sort of, and the result was, it was really interesting. It ended up being one of these kind of leading indicators that the campaign actually turned out to be a stunning success. Um, you know, the dealer ended up selling 50 cars, but um, like just sometimes you can just get it right, you know. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, I think, like most people are hoping and spraying, most people aren't even on the mission of, they've got no conception of what right is. Do you know what I mean? They just, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're just hoping to get lucky, you know, and I think that's the way most people are doing their marketing. And I think, like, especially now I've had this conversation, the absolutely opposite is true. Like, you can get it right. You can send out five messages and get five sales, and that should be the objective, and that's yeah, your you mission. Can. You have to come I'll back and tell us. I'll give you one other thing, though, which we must actually put as a little caveat on everything we're saying. It's because we're, we're building up this story about Darwin and Mark, you've been amazing. But I think there is a caveat in today's world. Today's world is media, clutter, and the amount of volume of media and all the rest of it means that the number one project that you've got is actually to get their attention. Because unless you've got their attention, nothing else actually matters, right? So a good example is on, in an email campaign, classic example of what I'm talking about. If that subject line is a fail, everything else can just go flittering into the distance. You must be building the kind of environments where people actually take notice of you. So that involves an entire process on its own. There is a creative discussion in that. There's an offer discussion in that. But there's also uh, this kind of permission to market to them concept in that. So creative speaks for itself. It needs to be gorgeous. And I like it. It just it needs to be good and represents the brand well and presents the product or the offer really well. 
The other part too that I spend a bit of time with some of my clients is talking about the offer. Now, it, an offer doesn't have to be a discount. It doesn't have to be a, you know, buy this and get a set of steak knife. No, no, and it's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the offer being appropriate to whoever you're sending it to. And you must take notice of this. It, it can't, there is no discussion point about that whatsoever. So if you're going to send out an offer for a new credit card and it's not competitive with whatever else is available in the market, don't waste your time. Because no matter how much targeting you'll send, people are not idiots. And the assumption that they are is really quite disrespectful. The last bit of that is this concept of the, having permission to market to them. So in essence, they're almost expecting your message. That's a very difficult thing to achieve, but it's achievable. So when your message goes, they say, oh, that, I want to have a look at that. 100%. Now, it could, could be a synergistic effect of some other advertising you're running. For instance, you're running a broadcast media campaign and you also back it up with some direct marketing. And the sense gives permission for them to have a look at it. So all of that stuff is important in the context of, yes, we can have great targeting, we can have great data, great levels of personalization, all the rest of it. But if no one looks inside the envelope or no one looks inside the email, eh, because people's attention is being grabbed at by everything that's going on around them. Um, what's, the, what's the analogy they use? Um, each of us are exposed to three and a half thousand advertising messages a day. I think it could even be more than that now. Right? You know, you sit there on a YouTube. Well, you think about the fact that you sit there on a YouTube ad and a YouTube video, and you might actually see seven or eight messages there that you can't avoid. Yeah, I relented. So, I pay Google ten dollars a month, so I don't have to look at the ads. In the yeah, which I don't because I want to see what the ads are, what, what the ads are, and how they actually approach them, and all this. Because sometimes that's an answer for one of my clients. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I see. I thought that them. for the longest time, but my life's got better since I give them ten dollars a month. It really has. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. Question number four: What should people read? If you read something that actually changed your life, or you think would actually have an impactful benefit? for people who've got this far into the video? Uh, the very first book anyone in marketing communication should read is David Ogilvy on advertising. It was written in, uh, I think it was either written in the 70s or the 80s. It's the most important book in advertising ever written, in my opinion. The reason is, is because as I said before, there's a premise in his book that says, advertising that doesn't sell, doesn't work. In which case, he has built an entire career in the early parts of Ogilvy that um, built it on that. And some of the most classic, famous ads of all time are in there. Um, another book is written by a guy called Drayton Bird. He's written a book on direct marketing. He comes out of the UK. He's one of the doyens of the direct marketing industry. Um, there's another book written by... Um, I wish you'd warned me about this because I'm just going to get the titles right. Edward Nash, another one, he's written a book on direct marketing. Um, there's an Australian book 
called Direct Mucking Fundamentals, written by Stan Giles and a couple of other guys. Uh, that's a, that's very much an academic book. That's a textbook. It's a bit now. When you pick up any of these books, they're very outdated. So just ignore the fact that they talk about things that are kind of not no longer done in terms of you know computer programming and mag tapes and all. Ignore that. Look at the look at the concepts around DEB and how they how to use data. Um, the other thing I'll say to you is uh, there's a whole pile of subscription services online that you can actually get into. Um, don't get too head up in a lot of this. I would actually recommend that people don't read a lot, but also but interact and network with people in your industry is going to be a much better process. Now, it's not something that direct marketers do very well. Um, sorry, just something popped up for some reason. Um, it's not doing very well. But there is the DMA conference in the US. There's the UK DMA conference. Is that still on? I don't, I don't know. know. And there's a, there's an, an ADMA or ADMA conference that's here in Australia as well. Listen and learn from the people doing the best work. Find out what they're doing. It's the best places at these conferences and spend the time having a look at what they do. Um, it ends up being the best way to learn it because we always deal with this concept of test, learn, and roll. Well, if someone else has done it, why wouldn't you listen to what they've done and what they found out um, and, and, and work from there? The rest Good. of it boils down, down to just networking with the right people. Excellent. Good. Talking of networking with the right people, somebody has introduced me to Drayton Bird. The invitation's gone out on LinkedIn. It was oh, cool. about six months ago. We're just waiting for Drayton Bird to open his LinkedIn and see it. There. Uh, I, he's, a, he's an older guy. Um, he's in his 80s, he, yeah. Yeah, he's in his 80s. So don't be surprised if he doesn't ever respond. Um, if you wanted to someone else to talk to, I would probably talk to someone like Malcolm Hall here in Australia. So that's Malcolm. Okay, whoa, 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 we're coming here now. So um, this is cool. Okay. We're coming here. Um, Drayton Bird, I'm going to up the ante. He did accept the connection request. There's got to be a telephone number. I've been told he's in his 80s and it will be a very, he loves to have these conversations apparently. He does, it will be a absolutely. very colourful conversation. Um, yeah, I need to push he's that a harder. He's a great sharer. There's, um, there's another guy. Um, okay, that, so, we'll right, before yeah. we do this, we have to do it properly. So firstly, I have to check in and see how you've enjoyed your experience of being on the Talk Marketing Show. Ooh. No, it's been great. <laughs> cool, that was tense again for a I, I second. Mean, I enjoy a chat about my space. I mean, I, I, I don't struggle with the concept. I love it. I love chatting to people. I probably do about five or six podcasts a year for people who are running these sorts of things. I am... Um, this has been good because you've asked the questions that don't normally get asked. And I think that that's appreciative. I actually appreciate the questions. Um, cool. So that's really cool. Um, the, the thing that I'm actually surprised about is that the length of time you've dedicated to this, far too many times I have these discussions where they try to compress it 
to appeal to people's attention spans in today's world, right? And I think the subject requires the kind of length that we, we give it. So well done, all good. Brilliant, thank you. And I think a couple of things, what do I think? I think, um, yeah, I, I'm going both ways. Like we take all of this time. I don't want to be contributing to people's collapsing attention spans. You know, I don't want to be contributing to that. I agree, I agree 100%. And I do want to get beyond the veneer. The trouble is with marketers is that we've done our little bit of marketing. We've done our positioning and this is kind of where we stand and we build like the facade in front of us. Do you know what I mean? So I just want to get beyond that. The thing about asking the questions is these are the questions that people have put to me when I've been teaching them or I've been pitching them these services. And these are the questions that don't get answered. And these are the questions that, that prevent people from actually getting involved in doing this thing. Direct marketing is an amazing thing. Every business, I think, should be doing it to in, in some way or other, and they should aspire to get really good at it in the way that you are. Um, but if people don't get question, answers to these questions, then they just don't do it. You know, it's as simple as exactly. that. Exactly. That's, that's why I've welcomed them. I think they've been brilliant. Okay, super cool. Well, I'm glad you've enjoyed it because that should make it that much easier then for you to throw a couple of people under the bus in the way that Renil and Dave both threw you under the bus um people that you can introduce me to who you think might enjoy or maybe just endure to have a conversation like this with me um happy to, happy to. who have you got in mind i got malcolm ald um he malcolm hall ald a-u-l-d a-u-l-d excellent yeah he, well he's kind of the founder and owner of a, an agency up in sydney that i think would be worth a conversation and he's been around as long as I have, if not a bit longer. So he's got some very strong views about certain things. Excellent. Um, another guy called Mike Schutter. Um, Mike uh, is a very skilled direct marketer, worked in high-end agency land. So he's worked with uh, much bigger corporate accounts. So I can speak on that subject. But also more recently, him and his partner actually have put together a quite a lovely um, not-for-profit charity that... Um, has this premise around being thankful for whatever we have and um, and sharing our thankfulness. So um, he would be a nice one to talk to about um, maybe bringing that kind of social conscious into your corporation. Um, who else? Mm, I'll think about who else if you want. Okay, that's super cool. Two is enough. Like We have like a 50% kind of hit rate. So if you recommend two, then... Is that all? Why aren't you getting 100%? Well, because I think we've been a bit baggy about our attitude to this, (laughs) is the truth. (laughs) So you're not doing the hard work, the hard yards. You're not putting in the hard yards. (laughs) (laughs) No, we need to be. The thing is, we probably are. I mean, you're going to be episode 80-something, you know, so this is going really well. I kind of feel like it's... Episode um, 80? That's huge. Most yeah, people there's... Like more past than 15. I think 15 is the drop-off rate's about 85%. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of get... No, I really well. like having conversations is the thing. So I think we've put up episode number 75 this week, and there's five or six recorded already, so it'll be five or six weeks before this goes up. So, yeah, you're going to be 81, 82, something like that. And then it boggles my mind. I think about I've got 30 years experience. You've got 30, 40 years experience. Like if you times that 80 by the decades of experience they've got, there's like thousands of years of experience in these conversations. Oh, I know. It's you know? brilliant. I'm brilliant. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I intend really to very it. much look you up and um, and have a look at some of the previous episodes to see who you've spoken to. Yeah, yeah there's it. some really cool stuff in there. There's, do you know Simon Bowen? I do, I think. Bowen? Simon Bowen oh, no, does so a thing called the Models Method, and he's all about drawing and diagrams and all these things. I spoke to yeah, him. No, it's going to be three or four weeks before that one goes up. That was an amazing conversation. There's a guy I spoke well, to, his one up a few weeks ago, called Mark Carter. He's written a book called Add Value because he spent 20 years asking sales managers what value is and none of them knew. So he had to write this book about it. It was insane. Like it's it's really, it's kind of universe driven because I've got no idea who's going to recommend who. Um, and yeah, I'm loving this. It's a really cool thing to do. No, well done. I think that there's some of this stuff. Um, and look, and part of it is the interview. As in, like, you've got to ask the right questions to get the right response. And the other part of it is, you know, like, the responder's got to actually be able to answer the question with some sort of um, with some sort of passion and energy that actually delivers the message well. I mean, like, you know, I think that that's the key to this. Um, yes. But there's certainly people out there that, I mean, someone else, I'd, I've got someone else in mind for you to speak to, but I just want to check whether he's up for it for, um, okay. for actually referring. But I, might, but I might just connect the two of you. I mean, he's he's led um, an entire consultancy around this concept of design-led thinking. So you actually allow the design of the product or service drive the business rather than the other way out. This is the Apple model. The Apple yes. designed the phone with the user at step one. So if I'm the user, what would I want my phone to look like, feel like, be like, do like? And then they actually develop that into an actual product. Um, and it's quite cool thinking, really is. Yeah, because when I think about these things, the, the one thing that is, the one thing that you can get wrong that will actually kill your business is the product. You know, everything Absolutely. else you can work on, you can get better at. But if you really don't have a product that, that delivers value, that's that's the only time I think that you're, that's the only terminal mistake you can make in your marketing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because um, there's a wonderful expression out of, um, out of my sort of mother's era, which is, you know, you can't make a leather purse out of a sow's ear. Yes. Now, and I think that that's a very important expression in, in the context of the product. The product has to do what you promise it will do. Now, it has to be a promise that it will do it, not you think it will, or it might, or it normally does, but this time, it, what's the promise that the product will do this? When it doesn't, what are you going to do about it? That's part of the product. Yes. And we started off a conversation just today talking about the lack of customer service in our world today, right? And the reason is far too many organisations and brands are not prepared to back the promise. I also that the think product that. will do what you say. Yeah, and it's but the, so they hide, they hide from the litigation, they hide because of you know bad publicity, they hide because you know. And I'm not sure you're aware, but Optus had a data breach uh, here in Australia that was significant and nasty data breach. And I asked um, a friend of mine who I play golf with, I mean, he's an Optus customer, and he was communicated to say that his driver's license, passport details, all his identity has been lost. I said, what did Optus do to help? 
They sent two emails, was the response. And the CEO came out and said, we're devastated. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. You know what you've done? So my friend George has had to go and change his driver's license, had to get a renewed passport issued, had to, um, uh, he changed all of his passwords on everything he owns. Um, you know, it just goes on. He had to alert his banks. He got, you know, you've sent two emails. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. I agree. I'm with cool. you. Cool. All right. Okay. This has been, what we'll do now is we'll say goodbye for the benefit of anyone who's made it this far into the video. We'll thank them enormously. We'll remind them they should like, share, comment, subscribe do all of that good things to support us. So we'll say goodbye now for those people. And then what we'll do is we'll stop with the recording and we'll say goodbye like normal human beings. Is that cool? Oh, hang on. Yes, absolutely. Lovely. Do your best to be like a normal human being. I'm, I'm just questioning whether or not that's actually what's happening here. That's all. <laughs> it's what's happening. It's what's happening. So here's what I want to say to you, Abramo. I have thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I think this is a really important thing that, that most businesses could be doing immediately that will impact their success. And my recommendation for anyone who wants to do it is they have a conversation with someone as generous as you. And so I want to thank you for your generosity today. This has been a really cool chat. No problem. My pleasure.